Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Bill Press Pod. I'm Jason Dick, Deputy Editor at Roll Call, and I'm guest hosting this week while Bill is out in the wild. As usual on Friday, we have our roundtable of journalists to discuss the week that was and what a week it was. A few years ago, if you would have heard the name Cheney, odds are you'd think that's a deeply conservative Republican, you know, who comes from a family that goes back quite a ways in in politics. That was then, and this is now. Liz Cheney, the daughter of former Vice President Dick Cheney, who is the highest ranking Republican woman in U.S. politics and the number three leader in the House GOP, is facing a push to remove her. Her sin? Calling out Donald Trump for inciting violence and lying about the 2020 election. The purge is on, and Cheney's not alone. Meanwhile, the White House has hit the road. It's continuing to talk up the gains against COVID-19 and sell its infrastructure plan. Question is, will Republicans like want to deal with President Biden uh, on, a, on a good faith basis? We'll talk about that. And the campaign to recall California Governor Gavin Newsom. Well, it's getting weird. It's California, but it's weird even for California. Joining me today are Addie Baird, political reporter for BuzzFeed. Hi, Addie. Hi, Jason. Maya King, politics reporter at Politico. Good morning, Maya. Good morning. And Igor Babich, reporter at HuffPost. Morning, Igor. Hey. All right. So let's let's get into the the great uh, Republican putsch that is on. Um, Liz Cheney, uh, since January 6th, since the attack on the Capitol, uh, she has been very uh, upfront about her criticism of Donald Trump uh, for inciting the violence. She voted to impeach him as he has continued to uh, double down on his own comments about the fact that the, he, what he says is the fact, very obvious, uh, that the, the uh, election was fraudulent. Uh, she, has, she has not backed down in saying this is uh, destructive. And this has not really um, helped her with her colleagues. We've got a, a, a short clip of Kevin McCarthy, who's the House Minority Leader, who stood by Cheney in one vote of no confidence earlier this year after the impeachment vote. Uh, and this is what he had to say this week in a hot mic moment. I think she's got real problems. I, 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 I've had it with, I've had it with her. It's, you know, I, I've lost confidence. Addie, uh, Leaving aside for the fact that you know maybe this wasn't such a hot mic moment, uh, Kevin McCarthy has, uh, is is known for uh, making sure that he says the right things when Trump is listening, uh, and so forth. Uh, what are we looking at for Liz Cheney? We have the House uh, coming back from its recess next week, and uh, we, we expect things to move quickly within in the move to depose Liz Cheney. Is that correct? Yeah, that that is kind of my sense of what's happening and and unfolding among the House Republicans right now. There's been a push to replace her with Elise Stefanik, um, who people might remember from the impeachment, um, uh, the first impeachment, excuse me, (laughs) in the the House when she sat on um, the, I believe it was the Intelligence Committee and 
really made her name as a um, young Trump defender. Um, she's become one of the you know most prominent women in the House Republican Caucus, and and so there's been this push to replace Cheney with her, um, which you know I think it's like you're, I I think that that we could see some swift. Uh, action there, especially given that McCarthy, like you mentioned, um, is having a fairly public, whether accidental or not, um, turn against her himself. The thing that sort of generally is remarkable to me about all of this is just that uh, it's so easy to stand by Trump when he has nothing to do, like when all he does is blog. (laughs) He doesn't even have like tweets for them to have to respond to anymore. So it's just sort of this like idea of, you know, when you like go through a breakup and then you realize like maybe you liked this hypothetical idea of the person more than the person. I feel like that's kind of what's happening with Republicans right now where it's like Trump is whatever the idea of like, you know, deep, excuse me, like deeply nationalistic politics means to you. Um, And it's just, I think that's kind of fueling the, the real push to just um, solidify the the kind of party that he turned the Republican Party, or you know, solidified what what they were long becoming. I guess I would say. Yeah, and actually, we've got a nice clip of uh, Lindsey Graham, formerly a uh, a Trump critic, uh, among the president, the former president's most loyal foot soldiers now, even in in exile in Mar-a-Lago, uh, as, as you pointed out. Uh, let, let's play that clip just say to my Republican colleagues, can we move forward uh, without President Trump? The answer is no. All of these people are attracted to the Trump Republican Party, economic populism, uh, America first agenda. If you don't get that as a Republican, you're making the biggest mistake in the history of the Republican Party. You know, the thing that's funny about that, sorry, I just have to say, it's like, the the reason that Cheney has really broken with the party is not about economic populism. It is not about the policies that make Trump Trump. It's about lying and fundamentally undermining the legitimacy of the 2020 election. And 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 I think everyone listening to this probably is pretty clear on that, but it's worth just reiterating like the, that's not what this is about. <laughs> Right, right. And and Maya, I mean, this is really about loyalty. It isn't even about policies. I mean, Elise Stefanik is, you know, is is a fairly liberal, you know, when it comes to her policy positions and the way she votes, uh, Republican. She's from upstate New York. But because she defended the president, she's she's golden. Absolutely. And I think to to Addie's point, I mean, we should note that that Liz Cheney is not by any stretch a liberal or a Biden ally or even anything close to a Democrat. She just has refused to adopt the big lie as the party line, which is going against, I think, the core tenet of where the Republican Party finds itself now. And I mean, even some of the the more MAGA faithful, as a few of my colleagues have reported this morning, have already started to call Elise Stefanik into question for a few of her votes against President Trump or that were not in line uh, with President Trump's goals when she was in Congress. And this is just very clearly a like loyalty litmus test, I think. If you're not willing to fall in line with what Republicans, or excuse me, what really what Trump Republicans and what Trump as the still very much the standard bearer of the party is putting forth, then you got to go. 
And and Igor, I mean, one one thing that is just hanging over this to me, um, and 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 to all of us, you know, who were either in in the building on January six when when tro- pro Trump, you know, uh, people attacked the joint session of Congress, uh, it is is this, you know, this is almost seems to be a sign off that violence is okay, um, that they're pretending that you know that this is going to be okay, or actually just saying that this is okay. Is this kind of a dark turn for? for politics? Yeah, I mean, you know, if you told me four or five months ago that we would be in the same place that we were on, you know, in the minutes after the January 6th siege or right, you know, when they were finishing counting the votes and in the middle of all all that horror, I I would have been shocked. I think a lot of people would have been shocked. It seems like it never happened. It seems like, you know, the Republican Party is just sweeping everything under the rug. Um, in their quest for power. I mean, that's that's what we're talking about here is they want to win back the House and they feel like if they are divided, if Liz Cheney is continuing to speak the truth about what happened on the 6th, they're not going to win control of the House. That is their ultimate goal. That's what Kevin McCarthy wants to do next year to win the speakership. And they feel that they've got to be totally united. And if they, if they aren't, um, they're not going to be able to do that. Now, that's a uh, that's a pretty sizable bet on their part. You know, we saw what happened in Georgia uh, in December and how divided they were. Uh, so they want to make sure they uh, avoid that repeat. And I mean, one thing that is is becoming obvious, too, is that there are there are a few people who are backing Liz Cheney publicly. Adam Kinzinger, he's a Republican from Illinois. Um, um, Mitt Romney, uh, the, the senator from Utah, uh, he voted to impeach uh, in, in the Senate. He was one of the people who voted to impeach. And uh, he's come under, you know, some I mean, we, we have this clip of him speaking uh, to a, a group of Utah Republicans and just getting catcalls. Now, you know me as a person who, uh, who says what he thinks, and I don't hide the fact that I wasn't a fan of our last president's character issues. And I'm also no fan... Addie, uh, this is in Utah. What's going on there? Yeah. Um... <laughs> Your former place of residence. Uh, uh, yes, as a native Utahan. Um, I used to joke a lot that, you know, you could put Mitt Romney and God on the ballot and Utahns would vote for Mitt Romney. Um, I guess the question is, uh, would you vote for Romney or, or Trump? Maybe not God. Um, and I guess we have a little bit of an answer. It, it, is, uh, it is remarkable to me. I think it's... Um, it's always been interesting to watch. I felt during the first impeachment that Lee and Romney kind of perfectly represented Utah uh, by splitting their their votes uh, to convict and to acquit. Um, I, this, I think, is a turn. Again, I think it goes back to the fact that it's just easier to um, sort of celebrate the memory of Trump when Trump can mean anything you want it to mean. Um, and generally, like, I think to Igor's point, this is all about power. And um, one thing Republicans are really good at is is being in the minority. And, and I, 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 I mean that genuinely. I think, Repu- I think Republicans are much better at it than Democrats have been because they are able to really wield the anger and the sort of quirks of uh, congressional procedure um, in ways that 
that really benefit them. And and um, in a lot of ways, it is so much easier to dissent than to govern. And, and I think that's kind of what we're, we're seeing here. But the, the Romney thing is uh, pretty remarkable to me. Yeah, this is the 2012 presidential nominee, the son of George Romney, Michigan governor, uh, the guy who saved the, the Salt Lake City Olympics. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, it is it is remarkable. And speaking to your point um, about Republicans being very good at being in the minority, uh, we have a, a clip of Mitch McConnell uh, talking about his his approach to being the Senate minority leader. The president may have won the nomination, but Bernie Sanders won the argument. 100% of my focus is on standing up to this administration. What we have in the United States Senate is total unity from Susan Collins to Ted Cruz in opposition to what the new Biden administration is trying to do to this country. So, Maya, uh, how easy is it for Democrats to negotiate with people like Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy when, the, I mean, M- McCarthy, you know, is, is kind of, he's a little bit more... Uh, uh, slick about like kind of following you know things and 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 you know kind of taking the temperature. Mitch just sort of says it, lays it out all online. You know, there. I mean, are they really going to be able to talk like in good faith about infrastructure and things like that when Mitch McConnell just says this? <laughs> well, it, it's it it certainly doesn't give me any optimism that they'll really be able to come to the table to get things done or find any real compromise or common ground, which are things that the Biden administration has really stressed. Um, at Jen Psaki, after listening to this this audio, said, you know, well, you know, our plan is to continue to try to work together um, and to try to find a way to to work with um, in good faith. Republicans, but that's really just not the same game plan um, that that the right has in mind. And I think, really, what Republicans are very good at is playing to the base. And these are these are topics and these are talking points that really the base is going to hear and going to really celebrate. While Democrats are still trying to, in many ways, I think, go after that sort of nebulous. Um, swing conservative vote that they, I think, still believe exists. And so I think, you know, sitting down at the table with Republicans in this way um, to pass bills like infrastructure, when already folks like Mitch McConnell have come out to say that they not only will try to to block it, but have already given their reasons. I think chief among them has been it's too expensive, it's too radical, it's too far left. Um, it's, it's just going to be extremely difficult. I, it's hard for me to see a path forward here in terms of there really being a an emergence of a bipartisan group of, of legislators who are actually able to get something done on this really big sweeping uh, piece of legislation. And we're already seeing that. I think there are other examples, particularly as we see with police reform. Um, these conversations, of course, are still ongoing and it's, it's kind of a different topic. But I think when you think about this kind of bipartisanship and the ways that uh, Democrats and Republicans are, are trying to come together, but maybe not really doing so on the same uh, terms of good faith. It's just, it's really difficult, I think, at this time in Washington to envision a path, a path forward for, for some real bipartisanship at work. And and that doesn't mean Biden's not trying. I mean, we, we've got uh, a, a nice clip of him sort of framing the debate in terms of, you know, like, I mean, his own economic populism. For folks at home, I'd like to ask the question, do we want to give the wealthiest people in America another tax cut? Or do you want to give every high school graduate the ability to earn a community college degree on their way to good paying jobs or on a way to four years of school? Igor, do you think we're just we're going to see, you know, Mitch and, and, and Biden sort of talking past one another, uh, saying different things, and then the Democrats just kind of head towards the reconciliation budget process, which will enable them to pass it just with their own votes? Yeah, I mean, I think this 
whole waiting period has been a bit of a a, a show uh, by both sides trying to you know present to voters that they are trying to reach a compromise, uh, something that voters do prize uh, at the end of the day. Um, but but so far we've seen no evidence that this is going to go any other different direction than it did, uh, you know, during the COVID relief negotiations earlier this year, where the administration set out a large, you know, large spending goal. Republicans made their counter and, and uh, in between nobody um, came off their original position. And in the end, Democrats uh, passed it unilaterally through through budget reconciliation. Um, you know, this morning's news about uh, jobs, uh, big miss on jobs numbers. Uh, you know, economists expected a million. We we only got something like two hundred and forty thousand. Is only um, going to fuel Democratic calls to get this package through this massive infrastructure and jobs bill uh, faster faster than uh, than the White House had been expecting. We're going to take a short break uh, right now, but we'll be back in just a few seconds. And today's podcast brought to you by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union. 1.3 million members strong, the good men and women of the UFCW under Mark Perrone. They're the ones who serve us so well in our big retail stores, the big grocery chains, our meat and poultry processing plants, cannabis factories, and chemical factories, all on the front lines every day in this era of COVID. We salute the members of the UFCW. Thank them for their support of the Bill Press Pod. Direct you to their website for more information at ufcw.org. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a a good one. In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more, but you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And we are back. Thank you uh, again to our Friday Roundtable. I'm Jason Dick, the deputy editor at Roll Call. I'm guest hosting for Bill Press. Uh, we're joined by Addie Baird, political reporter for BuzzFeed, Maya King, politics reporter at Politico, and Igor Babich, reporter at HuffPost. So uh, 
speaking of Bill, he is in California and, and Oregon to a lesser degree, uh, visiting family. Um, let's talk about California. <laughs> uh, it, it, uh, I, I, for some reason, I, I thought, you know, the, uh, the, the recall election of the early 2000s, which was uh, seemed kind of weird and disastrous, uh, but actually ended up like, you know, arguably OK, you know, with with Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, sort of exceeding a lot of expectations uh, as, uh, as as governor. But it was it was a little bit traumatic. We had, uh, you know, dozens of, of candidates uh, on, on the ballot. I uh, th- thought that was sort of in the rear view mirror for a while, but now we are, uh, we are facing another uh, recall. Uh, Gavin Newsom uh, is the Democratic governor, uh, the successor to Jerry Brown. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, apparently it's, it, there's a, a whole passel of, of different reasons people want to get rid of uh, Newsom, in, anywhere from COVID restrictions, which are really not as much of a factor anymore, to the homelessness. Uh, and e- while we have avoided sort of the circuit uh, of of uh, you know kind of joke candidates that we had uh, back in the early two thousands, uh, we do have a few people who uh, you know are are making their way. It seems like the Democrats are a little more united. But on the Republican side, we have uh, Caitlyn Jenner, uh, who is a, a, a pro Trump uh, Republican, uh, and uh, she uh, was uh, ha- had this to say about some of the reasons that she's running for for governor of California. My friends are leaving California. Actually, weren't my hanger. The guy across right over from me, he was packing up his hanger. I said, where are you going? And he says, I'm moving to uh, Sedona, Arizona. I can't take it here anymore. I can't walk down the streets to see the homeless. So, Addie, um, is that the kind of um, message when a, a wealthy uh, white person in California who lives uh, in a wealthy enclave uh, gives a reason like that for leaving California? Is that what is that what uh, racks up the votes in California, you think? Uh... <laughs> Um, no, I mean, I don't look, this is weird. I I am not an expert in California politics, but this, um, doesn't really ring to me like the kind of message that's going to, uh, really feel relatable to people. I personally have never, um, had a conversation with my neighbor at the hangar before. So <laughs> I don't know if that message is oh, really, yeah, no, that's, that's, that would, that would be a new adventure for me personally. I don't know if that's really going to resonate with people. Um, you know, in some ways I think that the way, uh, I can only process California politics through the lens of New York politics. That's a little, <laughs> like, that's my, uh, that's my background, but I feel like this kind of reminds me a little bit of when um, no one was sure whether Bill de Blasio was going to like get indicted. And there was a whole bunch of Democrats who were like waiting to maybe step into the mayor's race. And I do think that, you know, that's the one thing I can sort of that, that's sort of interesting to me about this recall is like, like you mentioned, there's all, kind of a litany of reasons that people are are sort of tired of, of Gavin Newsom. And I think uh, among Democrats, some of that is like he's an out of touch elitist in some ways that that kind of has, you know, overlap with this, um, you know, my neighbor at the hangar type vibe. Um, and I, I, I would just be really curious, like if he does something, if he has some sort of like gaffe or does something totally out of touch, like I think what could really change the nature of this recall would be if another Democrat stepped in. Um, and, and that, I, you know, I think makes 
his message a lot more complicated, um, right? So right. Uh, who knows? Right. Uh, it, it could it, there's there's time for more circus. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, Gray Davis, who was the uh, subject of the recall election um, that resulted in Schwarzenegger, you know, winning. I mean, he did have these Democratic rivals coming after him, Cruz, Bustamante and, and, and so forth. So uh, it is it is a little different. And I, I mean, I'll, I'll say this too: the 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 other part of the equation from the from the hangar uh, in California to Sedona, Arizona. Uh, Sedona, uh, I grew up in Cottonwood, about 15 miles uh, you know, away from from Sedona and uh you know, Sedona is among it's it's one of those places like Aspen <laughs> or or Jackson Hole. Uh, th- this is the, uh, the the wealthiest of the wealthy uh, are are there. So uh, that is a small percentage, I think, of people who will be able to move to Sedona to flee the horrors of Malibu. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, Maya, like I, I'm I'm curious, like the this. I mean, in in California, you know, we have. We have such a, 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 a political elite coming from California. I mean, we, you know, Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, is from California. Kevin McCarthy, the minority leader in the House, is from uh, Bakersfield, California. Um, you know, th- this doesn't seem to be echoing as much in the halls of Congress. Now, granted, we're a little, we're still a little restricted in, in you know, how our interactions with people uh, in, in Congress, but this doesn't seem to be a topic of conversation on almost anybody's, uh, you know, sort of list in, in Congress. No, and I think that's probably the result of a number of different things, chief among them being that people are just focused on a lot of other different items right now. I think the talk of Congress, of course, is the Liz Cheney drama, and that's kind of the biggest story that's been dominating um, conversation on the Hill right now. And also, I mean, this is just, it is super weird, this recall election and 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 the candidates, of course, we have this weird hanger gaffe that has sort of exposed Caitlyn Jenner as like the the elite that I don't know if anybody ever doubted she was. And then you've got John Cox, the beast, posing in front of uh, his campaign bus with like a thousand pound brown bear. And that's kind of his his go-to. So, I mean, if this is the talk, I mean, if this does turn into more conversation on the Hill, I think it's just to discuss kind of the bizarre nature of this whole thing. And it's only, I mean, Republicans are kind of losing ground in, in California, I think for that reason. So I, I, I just, it's, it's super fun to talk to and to look into. Um, but I just, I think as a serious political story in terms of whether or not Republicans are really going to be able to oust Gavin Newsom, um, I don't know if we've gotten there yet. And and Igor, I mean, we're we're not talking about like some you know backwater place. I mean, California is like the it's like the fifth or sixth largest economy in the world. You know, if it was cleaved off from the United States, um, I mean, this is by all accounts. Uh, a, a place that people want to live in, and uh, it 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 just seems. I don't know. Am I missing something? Am I not giving the the opponents of Newsom and so forth more credit than the, should I give them more credit for for what they're doing? I'm I'm just having trouble taking it seriously. Well, um, I'm so glad you asked me this question because <laughs> as someone with a plane in their garage right now, <laughs> um, and as a California resident who and somebody who lived through you know the Gray Davis years and the and the recall and the rolling uh, power outages i mean those were serious serious crisis in california at the time i remember i was pretty young at the time but i remember you know living through outages pretty much every day 
and thinking, uh, what the hell is going on? I mean, this is supposed to be, you know, a first world country. So that kind of environment was the backdrop to Gray Davis. You know, he was seen as a feckless leader. He wasn't really overly popular with the left in California either, with labor, you know, was very passive when it came to his his um, recall campaign. Uh, and as soon as the recall began, you saw his numbers just kind of plummet. Um, right now, what we're seeing with, with Gavin Newsom is uh, – very much the opposite. You know, his numbers have held steady. Um, there has, to, Gab, to Abby's point, there has not been a credible Democrat yet that has jumped in. Um, but, you know, during the 2003 recall, uh, Cruz Bustamante did not jump in until, um, you know, people saw that Gray Davis's numbers had, had just sort of uh, collapsed. So it is a very different political atmosphere. But that said, very real problems, as you said, in California, homelessness, uh, cost of living, a uh, lot of lot of real issues that even liberals will point to um, under under Gavin Newsom, and he's been trying to kind of shore up his left flank by committing uh, more money to solve homelessness uh, uh, and uh, other other issues in the state. So you know we still have quite a ways uh, until September, until this fall, when the actual recall election will take place and anything can happen. And, you know, in 2003, something like 150 candidates jumped in. So um, anything, uh, like really anything can happen. Yeah. I mean, and I, I should, I guess I should, you know, throw in a caveat of my own just to say that like, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't take the Trump, uh, you know, candidacy seriously until, you know, uh, until he started winning primaries and and I thought you know again I, I thought that the Schwarzenegger uh, candidacy was was sort of a, a a joke, and then you know he turned out to be a a, a real governor. Uh, I mean, like somebody who you know helped you know push through redistricting reform uh, in in the state, and, and sort of seemed to learn from his mistakes. So uh, I mean, it's it's definitely worth keeping an eye on because I. It, it does. It seems like it was more born out of like COVID frustration. And now that things are opening up, I think Los Angeles, you know, has some of the least restrictive COVID, uh, you know, protocols in in the country now. So um, I, I, uh, I I think I think we're going to talk about this a little bit more as the year goes on. Um, so uh, for for anybody thinking that I'm I'm perhaps being too jokey about it, I, I apologize. But it, it is just it is weird. <laughs> Um, uh, all right let's uh let's get to uh one of my favorite uh parts of the week which is uh the stories uh that that caught your eye that have a little less to do with our our chosen uh political journalism profession it can be about politics but let's uh this is where we take a chance to uh you know like sort of recognize something that we just sort of took a little bit of delight in uh addy why don't we start with you um okay i love to talk about space stories um, as my favorite story of the week whenever I do this show. I'm obsessed with space because it makes me like not think about politics and makes all of this seem very small. Um, But this is maybe a little bit of a different version of that. My favorite story this week, there was a New York Times story. The headline is, heads up, a used Chinese rocket is tumbling back to Earth this weekend. (laughs) Oh, yes. And no one knows where it will land. Um, this is like a 10 story, 23 ton piece of rocket hurling back to earth and no one knows where it's going to crash. Um, you know, the time story is kind of like uh, people being like, we don't know why they did this. Like, you know, 
<laughs> this doesn't make a lot of sense. This is like negligent. Um, but I, I, you know, it, it, it's sort of like a little late for that. Like it's tumbling back to earth and no one knows where it's going to land. So I'm just kind of like obsessed with this. I think it's super weird. I think it's like a little freaky. Um, they say that it's there's only a small chance that it will hit a populated area, which is not really comforting. Um, No, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, you know, in the middle of all of this, I guess there's some hope that maybe a piece of a rocket will just take us all out. (laughs) So, and for for those of you who have... Please. uh, Yeah. (laughs) For those of you who have listened to any of my podcasts or maybe me on this show before too, you know, I'm obsessed with movies. And one of my favorite movies of all time is a movie called uh, Until the End of the World by Wim Wenders, German uh, director from 1991. And it is about this very topic, a, a, a satellite that is spinning out of control. Nobody knows where it's going to land and what happens, uh, like what what the decision-making process is. And it's also unfolds across this across seven continents. Wow. Uh, it's, I think it's, yeah, it's, I think it's, I think this is the perfect time to call back in Bruce Willis and, um, <laughs> you know, Armageddon 2 or, or whatever. Armageddon 2, yeah. This, 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 was, this starred uh, William Hurt and Max von Sydow, so it's a little different vibe in this movie, but uh, I'd go for Armageddon 2 also. <laughs> Maya, uh, your, uh, your favorite story of the week. Yes, so I am uh, bringing back an old politics story that was actually a bit before my time, but I found it super interesting. Um, Olivia Nuzzi in uh, New York Magazine wrote about a uh, campaign event that Asa Hutchinson um, hosted a few weeks ago where Danny Williams, also known as the Clinton Kid, was pictured. Um, This is a person who uh, folks thought or some conspiracy theorists were floating that this was the illegitimate son of Bill Clinton. And it was an interesting story that kind of went back uh, over all of that and kind of what conspiracy theories looked like in the 90s um, pre uh, just pre Clinton, pre the, the Lewinsky scandal. And um, in the background, of course, after she published this picture or published this story, the picture was deleted. And then uh, at the end of the story, she went back and actually saw that it was still on Instagram. Um, and so <laughs> it was it was an interesting kind of story within a story that I found pretty fun. Gosh, that's that, I, that is a, a, a conspiracy theory I forgot about myself. <laughs> so, indeed, Igor, how about you? Uh, so my favorite story is. Um, uh, the fact that the, the white, I'm sorry, Jill Biden, uh, announced this week that there is a cat, a white house cat waiting in the wings, uh, and that major is getting training, uh, to live with a cat. (laughs) And, uh, I think this is just part of the Biden administration's efforts to lobby both major parties in the country. Cats and dogs. Uh, yes, Cats and dogs. <laughs> correct. And uh, I'm curious how major is going to take this given all the, you know, drama he's caused already. And is it major or champ who has the biting problem? I, I cause the, I, are they both, they both have, uh, you know, had their issues, right? One took a dump in the, in one of the West wing hallways <laughs> and the other was biting people. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think Major has been having the, the biting problem. <laughs> so good. 
Uh, my favorite story of the week. Uh, th- this was uh, this is actually published the week week before uh, in, in Slate, uh, and it's called "The Grim Secret of Nordic Happiness." Uh, it's written by a, a Finnish uh, pr- uh, person, uh, Jukas Savolainen, which I'm sure I've destroyed the pronunciation of of, uh, of this uh, writer's name. And the um, riffing off of Finland, uh, continuing to rack up uh, the the happiness uh, index championships uh every year there is a survey uh conducted by uh you know called the world happiness report finland has uh you know been the happiest country in the world uh four years running they displaced denmark uh before that uh denmark is still uh you know a happy place apparently uh, but right behind iceland uh in 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 finland uh but this this uh um this writer said like the, the real secret here is not uh that we uh you know, we have some sort of secret, uh, you know, or it's hygge, which is this weird, you know, sort of thing of like, you know, just sort of getting a snuggie on and, and drinking a lot of hot chocolate, uh, you know, in, in Denmark or, or drinking, uh, you know, by yourself uh, in your underwear in Finland, uh, th- things like that, that have been offered as uh, reasons that the Finns are happy. It says that it, it was basically like, we just have low expectations for happiness, uh, which I just loved, you know, <laughs> it's a, such a great, like sort of philosophical and very Nordic uh, way of looking at things. This is a, it's, it's not so much that it's definitely not the weather uh, uh, in, in uh, Nordic countries. It's just that uh, what, once you get past the fact that we, you know, basically we have our healthcare taken care of, we have our uh, education taken care of uh, and the, also that the Soviet union didn't destroy us um you know we're we're okay you know and and that accounts for the happiness and uh, the the line that is uh, sort of ends it is you know when um and by the way this writer is saying that this is not the ideal he doesn't feel like finland is a truly happy place uh but you know perhaps uh, if americans wanted to be a happier uh, place along these lines they would tell their children instead of uh, saying you can grow up to be president you can say you can grow up to be president of your homeowners association or something like that <laughs> <laughs> manage your expectations it's, it is exactly it's about managing expectations uh all right well maybe we can manage expectations for the next week as congress comes back and we continue to uh uh you know follow politics in a in a strange time uh that's going to do it for this edition of the bill press pod thank you to addy Baird of buzzfeed maya king of Politico, and Igor Babich of HuffPost for doing our Friday thing. I'm Jason Dick from Roll Call. Thank you for listening.